0: The Oklahoma Sooners, welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld, and we're going to give you a complete breakdown. Well, at least our version of a complete breakdown of Oklahoma's trip to Fort Worth, Texas to take on the TCU Horn Frogs. We're going to also talk about some of the um, kind of resetting the season, some of our biggest disappointments, our biggest uh, encouragements looking at this football team, as well as who would be our season MVP right now. That is a struggle. That is a struggle to pick. I get to ask the true or false questions of Rich, and then we'll take a look around the Big 12 as well. So let's reset the season, Rich. Oklahoma sitting at two and two on the season, riding a one game winning streak over the with that win over the Texas Longhorns, quadruple overtime. Here's some latest news coming out of Norman. Stacy Wilkins no longer on the roster. Speculation is that he has chosen to opt out for this season. Defensive tackles, Ikeas McKinney is in the transfer portal. He gone, so he's not opting out of the season. He's opting out of the program. Uh, the biggest surprise there for me is Stacy Wilkins, a kid who had a lot of prospect, a lot of promise. Uh, I actually expected him to, to really compete to get on this uh, offensive line this season. Um, but you know, if, he, uh, if he's going to opt out, he's going to opt out. But you, you can't help but think if... In the four games that Oklahoma's played with the struggles they've had up front, if Stacy Wilkins isn't a guy who could get on the field during that time, he's probably not getting on the field this season at all.
1: I am surprised still. And I'll be honest, because when a player has opted out in a season when they've been granted an additional year of eligibility, it it doesn't compute mentally for me. You're limiting the number of reps. You're limiting the potential reps that you would have gotten, whether that was in practice or whether that was on the field in a game situation, you've really, in my opinion, set yourself back Mm -hmm. by doing such a thing. Now, granted, there are players who will be all-stars on their team, regardless of if they played this season or if they did not moving forward, but for a guy like Stacey Wilkins, for a unit like the offensive line, you have to think consistency is key. And when Bill Biedenbeau... Puts a challenge before you and you don't answer that bell. Right. Just because you weren't on the field at that moment doesn't mean that you don't have an opportunity. It doesn't mean that you don't have a chance. But what I'm looking at more specifically, and I'm going to talk, I don't know where your mindset's at with this, Matt, but I know that I'm going to bring up this name a little bit more often on this podcast. And it, it's Chris or Christopher, however you right. want to use it. No, yes. Murray.
0: The, that's that's a great point.
1: The addition of him to this offensive line. Is it a coincidence
0: line, that Christopher Murray right. gets eligible and then Stacey Wilkins? Ah, you know what? I think I'm going to go ahead and opt out.
1: Right. And you talk about the versatility of a guy like Christopher Murray. He can play anywhere along that offensive line. I don't think it's going to be a center. I don't think no, it's no, going to be at the center. tackle position. So we're really looking at the guard position for him. We'll see what happens, but... As far as it pertains to Stacey Wilkins, I agree with you that he's the bigger surprise in terms of losses, but the the justifying it just isn't there for me
0: well, okay, I agree with you unless there's like a family deal you right, know right right you know and, and that could be something we'll, well given
1: given the information we have right now okay right it comes to me as as something as I mentioned that just doesn't compute.
0: Right. And that's, that's where you got to just kind of be careful because there's, there may be information out there that we don't have. You know, it, it could be a situation where there's a family member who is susceptible or they've even, hopefully none of this is true, but they've had someone in the family become severely ill and and they see the, the, ramif- the reality of the situation, so to speak. And he's saying, you know, it's just not worth it right now. Um, that could be a situation, but barring that type of of scenario, I think I'm hundred percent on board with you. And and it is a good point about Christopher Murray or Chris Murray. We'll just say, what, can we just call him C Money or something like that? Come up with our own little nickname. Yeah, you, uh, we, you can we go did, for it. I, didn't I, I we didn't know do that? that? i buy you, it, yeah. Now, did you notice that our our um, our nickname for uh, Nathaniel or Nathan Rollins Kabong? Did you notice that that nickname is sticking now? I'm seeing other people call him NRK. I think we were the first to do that. So let's go with C-Money for Chris Murray. I
1: don't know. I can get on board with that. Why not? I mean, it, that's, that's an, a nickname for a guy who delivers.
0: All the cool kids are doing it. And, and Chris, we don't
1: know a lick about how Murray fits into this offensive line yet,
0: or if he I do. does. I do. I, I can tell you where he's going to fit in. I think he's going to... <sighs> See, I don't know that I can. Oh, no, oh, listen, oh, here, I, I really think. What, ha, what happened to the, the confidence, Matt? You you
1: totally lost.
0: Well, it. Well, listen, I, because I, I, I go back and forth. In. I know. I, listen, here's what I'm going to no, say. I don't know. Here's what I'm going to say. I am. I'm, I'm going to make my official declaration. He will replace Tyrese Robinson at right guard. There, I said it. Okay. That's that's.
1: And I'm going to disagree with you.
0: Well, that's, the, we wouldn't be the sooner nation podcast if if you didn't disagree with me. Yep. Where do you right. think he's going to be?
1: I don't know. Um, and maybe I, I got a little bit of the the position So you know he's not at
0: center, and you know, and you're saying he's not gonna be at right guard. Right. Where are you putting him?
1: I, I you got three spots available. I'm I'm gonna put him at either of the tackle positions then. And I know no, that I previously no, no, no. No. just said so you have Marquise Hayes, correct?
0: hmm Marquise Hayes left guard. Uh huh. Creed Humphrey center. Right. Tyrese Robinson right guard, and then you got Anton Harrison left tackle and Adrian Ely right tackle. You, you, so I can see the doubt on your face. Yeah, you, you sure can. <laughs> so you're going to put him back in the guard spot. I guess so.
1: <laughs> I guess so.
0: So Tyrese yeah, Robinson. So back,
1: back to what I said originally, I didn't think he was going to take over one of the tackle positions. <laughs> you made me doubt that statement. So here we are back at it again. I don't think he's going to play one of the tackle positions. So I am going to have to piggyback what you're saying and go in with that guard position specifically the, of Robinson. The, that, re- that's a good get.
0: The reason I pause there is because I just – I, I like I like the potential of Anton Harrison. I don't think Eric Swinson is the long term answer. In fact, I wouldn't be su- surprised if when they take the field with their first offensive possession Saturday morning, if it's coming, especially coming off this bye week, if it's not Anton Harrison officially in that starting role. Now, the official depth chart for the game lists Eric Swinson as the starter, but look, you're you're comparing a a redshirt senior to a a freshman. Swinson 65, Harrison 65. Swinson 326, Harrison 334. So Harrison has a little bit more weight on him, but again, I I feel like I feel like we've seen the ceiling for Swinson and we see the potential in Harrison. And so I think I, I really feel like th- this is the time now for Harrison to go and take that spot. I do. I don't I don't know that it's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if it if it did happen. Um, I I think when you look at the guards, both of them have had their struggles this season. Tyrese Robinson, to me, has struggled a little bit more than Marquise Hayes. And that's why I I say I I think Tyrese Robinson is going to start. Don't get me wrong. But I think at the end of the season, you'll see Murray there at right guard. That's just that's. That's what I'm saying.
1: And, and that's a fair assessment because we've already mentioned on this podcast the versatility of a guy like Murray, the ability to play anywhere along that offensive line. One of the things that was consistently said about him after people had learned that he gained eligibility was that he has violent hands. Mm-hmm. It speaks to the explosiveness it speaks to the tenacity. It speaks to the physicality that a guy like Murray plays with. So if any one of those five start to play a lackluster game, you can bet your bottom dollar, at least coming from me, you can bet your bottom dollar that, that Murray may see time at that position. I don't, I don't think it's a prolonged thing. I don't think it's a long-term thing, but it's just a, hey, we can pull you, kind of calm you down. Speak into you, and then put you back out there.
0: I do find it interesting, as I'm looking at the depth chart that's released for this game, Christopher Murray, or Chris Murray, however you choose to call him, C money. He's not on the depth chart for this game. I mean, he's going to play. Don't get me wrong. Unless something's up where he's in contact tracing or he's you know some sort of COVID protocol or injured he's going to play in this game I find it interesting that he's not on the depth chart
1: yeah th- I didn't know that before we sat down this is this is new information to me
0: you know what else is interesting about the depth chart you want to you want to guess where Seth McGowan is listed
1: it's not number one is nope. it? nope it's not number two nope really I honestly thought to answer your question in a long format after the game that TJ Pledger had in the Red River rivalry, the production that we saw out of him, six yards per carry in that game, that he would ultimately, because he was listed as a starter day one, he would reclaim that position. But I thought it would be a close number two with Seth McGowan behind him. I get that McGowan. Is a freshman, but there's something different. There's something special about the way he runs the ball. So for him to not be at two is, is an utter surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Is he three? Nope. He's not even there? No, he's there. Okay. You want to tell me?
0: Yeah, he's number four. So here, here's how the official depth chart reads. TJ Pledger, Marcus Major, or Ramon J. Stevenson, T- and then Seth McGowan. And then I'm not saying I'm just saying the X receiver, Theo Weiss or Theo Howard or Trajan Bridges (laughs) starting defensive end Ronnie Perkins. I'm not saying I'm just saying I don't know if these guys are going to play. I think Lincoln Riley knows. I I think Lincoln Riley, when he's talking about nothing's changed, we got no updates. That's coach speak, because why would you tip your hand? Right because Gary Patterson's preparing for something and why tip your hand, make Gary Patterson guess, make him spend time in his planning sessions going, should we plan for Ramon J Stevenson? Is there a chance number 29 is going to be on the field? Should we game plan for number seven on defense? Okay. Let's, let's throw in these wrinkles, but you know, why tip your hand and say either they are or they are not. Um, And I think that's, probably some gamemanship because look, if I can, you know, they, they, these go out to any to members of the media and so forth. So I'm telling you that Gary Patterson has looked at this and gone, Hmm, the freshman's number four on the depth chart behind Ramondre Stevenson and, or Marcus major and TJ pleasure. So if Gary Patterson is looking at this, that's what Lincoln Riley's intent is on that. I, here's what I can confidently say. Cause my son, Caleb, what up, Caleb, my son, Caleb asked me every day, You heard anything about the three suspended players? You heard anything? I mean, literally every day he asked me, and here's what I can tell. Here's what I can. Become
1: your alarm clock.
0: Right. Here's what I can (laughs) definitely tell you about the three suspended players. If they don't play this Saturday against TCU, then they will play Halloween night in Lubbock, Texas. Maybe not Ronnie Perkins. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what you know. I mean, that, that's where it is. And every, anybody else, I, I'm not I'm not calling these guys out. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm making the point. Anybody else who says they know otherwise, it's a guess. It's an educated guess. I mean, and here's the reason why I'm bringing it up. Jason Kersey, who was a guy I respect the crud out of. There's probably not a better guy getting information you, you know, with Oklahoma Sooners than Jason Kersey. Now, there's, there's guys up there, the Bob Prisbillows of the world, you know, the Eddie Rodasoviches of the world. There are guys out there who get good, solid information, right? When Jason Kersey says, staked his reputation on it, says, I stand by my reporting that Ronnie Perkins was going to play against Texas, and he didn't. And then you got another guy in the same market and Kerry Murdoch saying the entire time, Ronnie Perkins ain't playing against Texas. So you got, you got, when you've got two guys who are really good at their job saying opposite things, what that leads you to believe is that nobody knows anything. <laughs> nobody knows anything for certain about these three guys. And so here's what I know. The suspension is a half a season. And we think because of a reduced season that the five games served, counting the Peach Bowl is half of a season of a reduced season. That's simple math, but it may be too, too simple for the NCAA. So then you di- default to what the original suspension was would be half of a 12 game season, which would be six games. Meaning this TCU game is either going to be the first game that these guys are eligible or it's going to be the last game. They're not eligible. And that's where it is. That's that's as simple as it can be deduced. And again, anybody who tells you otherwise, up until the time this team takes the field Saturday morning in Fort Worth, or maybe when you get the travel roster, you you see who gets on the bus, then you can say, oh, hey, look, I just saw Ronnie Perkins get on the bus. Or I just saw Trajan Bridges get on the bus. Then you know something's up. But even at that, you don't know because we (laughs) we saw Ronnie Perkins get on the plane to Iowa State. Still haven't seen him on the field.
1: Well, we even saw Ronnie Perkins on the sideline.
0: But that's what I'm saying. He got on the plane and went to Iowa State. We saw
1: him interacting.
0: Right. We
1: saw the verbal communication, the morale boost that was expected from Ronnie Perkins being on that sideline. But you're right. We have not seen Ronnie Perkins specifically play. And we are leaning into this idea that the suspension has been served. Which, just because you're eligible doesn't mean that you're going to play.
0: You know, just because... Especially if you're choosing to opt out and prepare for the draft. Just
1: because the NCAA has ruled to lift that suspension because you've served the punishment for the crime. It's been met. And just because, again, the NCAA has lifted that suspension, it doesn't mean that you're going to play. I am going to stick to that. My hope, though is that we do see a guy like Ronnie Perkins because we've talked heavily about this defensive front and how solid they've been against the run, mm-hmm. but they haven't necessarily had the best just conference wide, haven't had the best pass rush. Ronnie Perkins in six sacks against
0: Texas. Just don't know. That right,
1: right. That's one game. Okay. Out of four. Granted. Okay. Truth be told was Ronnie Perkins would have been that, that that game changer Jalen Redman, I think would have been a game changer at that defensive end position. However, with them not available, some of these other guys have had to step up into that role. I think we've seen a lot of use from the linebacker position, Nick Benito getting in there and forcing some things to happen in the backfield. Deshaun White. Not as productive as he was early on, but still making things happen in the backfield. And of course, you have to look at a guy like Isaiah Thomas, who is becoming that defensive end that Oklahoma can rely on. But ultimately, when it comes to this defensive line, I think the biggest difference makers have been the Juco guys, Josh Ellison and, and Perry and Winfrey. And we can't forget about those two, especially Winfrey with the game that he just had. He's finally finding his role. He's finally finding where he fits defensively for this team. But still, when it comes to the the three sus- suspended players, two of those are immediate impact players and completely change the way Oklahoma plays the game. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you hope you have them back, but... Nobody knows. I mean, you've said it. You've spelled it out. Nobody knows what the availability of these players is going to be, whether they've shown up on the roster or whether they haven't. And I've got to say this about Ramondre Stevenson. I, I agree wholeheartedly that it could just be coach speak. Oklahoma has not had the, the the most success in running the ball, despite which name is back there. So all of a sudden, you can flood a depth chart with four names because everybody believes they're eligible, whether they play or not, right. a different story. But because everybody believes that they're eligible, all of a sudden you have TJ Pledger, day one starter. We know he didn't play against Missouri State. But then you have two big bruising backs, Marcus Major and Ramondre Stevenson. And then you come back with a little bit of that that speed again It's a good combination to have in the backfield, and it certainly makes you ponder how will the offense, how will Lincoln Riley use any one of those names against a team who's been defensively sound under Gary Patterson, Mm -hmm. a team like TCU.
0: Okay, we're going to talk about that matchup with TCU, but we're going to talk first, biggest disappointments and encouragements, as well as who would we give the MVP trophy to right now on this Oklahoma football team? Between the NFL, college football, and the World Series, there's no shortage of games or sports to watch on television, and there are thousands of lines available on all of your favorite sports and events that you can turn your game day into a payday with my bookie. If you're the type of guy or girl who likes to sit back and look at the big favorites, consider putting a couple dollars on a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games more exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value as well. The NFL, here's the thing about that. The underdogs are never really dogs. On Sunday, every team, well, maybe except for the New York Jets, every team truly has a chance to win. And so do you. Game spreads, championship futures and player prop bets, it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit, and they'll match it dollar for dollar. All the way up to $1,000. It's a bonus that's designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's the promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, to claim your bonus when you make your first deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets. You can bet on the election. All the major sports and more. Sign up today and begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Okay, so we're resetting the season. Oklahoma at 2-2. Two and two. I'm going to go ahead and just throw this out there maybe to save us some time because we're 20 minutes deep into the podcast. Biggest disappointment of the season for me, we've already talked about it in this podcast. That's the offensive line. I, I I know people can say, well, I'm really disappointed in that defensive secondary. Really, because I mean, they've been bad for a long time. They were bad last year. Yes, they made progress, but they were still bad. Now they showed up with some new blood, you know, involved in there with uh, with with uh, at the Texas game two weeks ago in the Cotton Bowl. But still, I mean, I did I didn't expect that. What I what I expected off of this team was that the offensive line would be the best unit on the field and through four games. They've not been. So for me, I'm going to say offensive line, biggest disappointment. I think the, the arrival of Chris Murray now has the potential to really change that. And what we saw from Oklahoma in the third quarter against Texas, where they just line up and just overpower you. Here's something that gets overlooked in that is that the, the defensive line for Texas is actually pretty good. That, that that is a so was salt... the
1: linebacking crew.
0: No, I don't think so. Okay, I, one player. I I just I feel give like one player. Uh, maybe I'll give you one player, but that that whole linebacking crew they're 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 disjointed. Joseph Osai. I, I but look, I I'm just telling you that when I look at that Texas, when I when I look at the way they play, I'm not looking at what their. Um, I'm not looking at, at at what people say about them. I'm not looking at preseason rankings or anything like that. What I'm looking at is the way they played, the X's and O's of how they play. I am not impressed with that. I, I I watched the the Texas Tech game, I watched the TCU game, and clearly I watched the Oklahoma game. And and when I see when I see that linebacking core, and and really. You mentioned Joseph Osai, and he's more like that pass rusher guy, that, that that Jack linebacker. So I am going to kind of give you a pass on that and say, okay, technically he's a linebacker. Dude's uber talented, okay? <laughs> but when I look at the way they play, it is not impressive to watch. But but that front, that front, it's a three-man front with the Jack, with Osai, added in there to make it a four-man front when needed. That's that's a pretty stout defensive line. And Oklahoma came out in the third quarter of that game and just steamrolled those guys. I think that might be a preview of what could be coming with a guy like Chris Murray, C. Money, added to that front five for Oklahoma just to give them a little bit more power, particularly inside on the interior of the line, giving them someone where they can run behind So, But at this point, through four games, to me, offensive line, biggest disappointment.
1: I think the biggest disappointment for me, and not to go with the exact same thing you've picked, because I do think, ultimately, if we were to rank these, that would be the biggest disappointment. But I'm also looking at the ball carriers. And while we may have had a little bit of a surprise there from Seth McGowan as a true freshman, stepping onto the field and taking control. Of that position, ultimately, the disappointment for me comes from this: the lack of trust in that running game, and maybe it stems heavily. I, I think from, it does from the offensive line. Yeah, I knew you were
0: going there, and I think you're right. You're spot on.
1: When we look at what Oklahoma has done from 2017 to 2019, they led the Big 12 Conference in each of those three seasons in rushing. In 2016, they were in the top three. We look at four games through this season. I did not expect Oklahoma to be where they are, which is outside of the top five. It's something that clearly has to improve. It's something that Oklahoma needs to rely on. It's something Oklahoma needs to return to in order to be successful. And I do believe that we saw Oklahoma start to turn that corner mentality-wise in saying we do have a capable offensive line and we do have capable ball carriers. And that was a depleted running back group against Texas. But we saw the first 100-yard rusher. We saw exactly what you're talking about in the third quarter from this offensive line. All of a sudden, there's potential. I'm just wondering, and I keep asking, did it exist day one? But because of the lack of trust in that running back crew or in that offensive line, maybe a combination of both, we didn't see it.
0: It's interesting, the choice of words you use there about turn that corner. We'll we'll come back to that here later on. Um, But go ahead and keep rolling. Give me your biggest encouragement. What what have you seen from this team that just makes you, okay, that's encouraging.
1: The the biggest encouragement, Matt, is the willingness to try something new. And this more so comes from the, the coaching staff. When Spencer Rattler stepped onto the field as the starter and Tanner Mordecai was relegated to that number two role, in a tight game, there was no expectation for me that Spencer Rattler would be replaced. Mm -hmm. There was no expectation that he would be removed from the game, taken to the sideline, and then Tanner Mordecai would step in and, and be as successful as he was. Now, I know that he's a capable quarterback. I know that he's deceptively quick. He's not the fastest person on planet Earth. He's probably not even the fastest person on the team, let alone the offensive side but Tanner Mordecai stepped in was successful and it allowed this adjustment to happen whether that was mentally whether that was saying don't don't let the moment be too big stop for you.
0: turning the ball over that's that's what was said
1: <laughs> for Spencer Rattler but that willingness to try something different ultimately sparked something i believe and then we saw that replicated on the defensive side of the ball We talked about all of the penalties that Brennan Radley-Hiles racked up against Iowa State, and we heard rumblings through Twitter that changes were going to be made, that experimentation was going to happen. Alex Grinch obviously inserts some of these young, up-and-coming players who may not have the experience, but certainly have the height and the physical traits in order to be successful. We see them put into the game. You specifically had mentioned Josh Eaton. Joshua, excuse me. I mentioned Woody Washington. There are several names as young players who have had an impact early on. And when we begin to look at what Oklahoma, the struggles that they had and how they were attempting to address those, I'm encouraged by that because it's not often that you see that. Now, there are programs across the country where you and I would have argued previously, aka Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. That wouldn't have happened there unless coaches were trying something new in order to be successful. And we see the type of success that they, they've had. Is that a blueprint? Is that a mold that's been set by some of these other programs? I don't know, but Oklahoma's buying into the trend, and it's worked out in their favor thus far. Granted, it's one game.
0: I think. I think you go to Clemson to use that illustration. You know, Dabo Swinney looked at Trevor Lawrence and thought, "Oh my gosh, I've got a generational player right here at quarterback." Kelly Bryant. Let's not forget, Kelly Bryant was pretty fantastic.
1: And same thing with Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen and Hurts. Hurts,
0: right? And so, um, I, but I, I think uh, I think the way Trevor Lawrence came in and just commanded that offense, just I mean, so there there are certain guys Helps that, when
1: everybody looks up to you.
0: Uh, you know, Adrian Peterson, Adrian, true, very true. <laughs> I mean, factually true. But like go, Oklahoma has the same story with Adrian Peterson. You have Kewan Jones, mm-hmm. who is a good running back. And then Adrian Peterson steps on campus, and everybody goes, "Dang!" You know, you just you, you just know when that guy steps on campus. You know, everyone knew the the very first time they saw Adrian Peterson at a football practice for the University of Oklahoma. Everyone knew you don't have this guy very long. This guy will not play four years at the University of Oklahoma, so you better play him now to get everything you can out of him. And I mean, you never saw Kwan Jones going. Uh, why are they playing this kid in front of me? I mean, everybody knew. And I think that's the same thing about Trevor Lawrence. Um, And and I I don't know that Oklahoma has yet landed that guy of that caliber. But what I'm, what what I'm saying for me, the encouragement is the young guys have been, when when you look at, and I'm just going to stick right now to the offensive side of the ball, but you look at Anton Harrison and you look at Marvin Mims and you look at Seth McGowan and you look at Spencer Rattler that is a core group of young guys that have all produced this season. You know, I, I think I think with Spencer Rattler, you got to say, okay, he's been either what you expected or maybe a little bit less than you expected. I, I don't know that anybody would say at this point, Spencer Rattler has been better than I expected him to be. I mean, if that's the case, you probably didn't pay that much attention to how good this kid was. That said, gosh, stop turning the ball over, you know, and you think about those things and you can say, okay, he's either been what I expected and he's a, a, a uber talented freshman who makes freshman mistakes, or he's been less than I expected in the fact that he turns the ball over more often than I wanted him to. But then you go to Anton Harrison. No one knew Anton Harrison uh, until like two weeks before the season started. I mean, unless you're a guy who follow, die hard follows recruiting. You didn't know Anton Harrison's name. You may have seen it on the on the re- recap of the 2020 signing class, but you didn't know him, right? And all of a sudden, he appears as a starter on the left side of the offensive line. You're going, to, who's Anton Harrison? Better than expected. Seth McGowan. I mean, th- let's not forget, we were disappointed that Seth McGowan was the running back of the 2020 class, right? The guy we wanted is in is in is in Tuscaloosa, right? He's in Tuscaloosa, and we're like, oh man, now all we have is Seth McGowan. But then you're like, it's okay, because we have Trey Sermon, we have Kennedy Brooks, we have Ramon J. Stevenson. And Seth McGowan has been given a lot to deal with as, the, as a true freshman. And he's been better than expected. Marvin Mims, better than expected. Remember, everyone's talking about Charleston Rambo. This is going to be Charleston Rambo's team now. He steps out of CeeDee Lamb's spotlight, and he becomes the guy, the downfield threat. Uh, wrong. It's Marvin Mims. And so you say better than expected. So three out of the four guys that I mentioned have been better than expected. And one of the guys, Spencer Rattler, has been what we expected or maybe a little bit less than expected. But still, you're talking about young guys. And yes, I get it. I, we've, we say this all the time. We're fans first. We, we started this project. We started this website. We started this podcast because we were fans. And we wanted, a, we wanted an outlet to voice our thoughts as fans. So we're fans first. And so I'm disappointed that Oklahoma is at 500, you know, a month into the season. <laughs> I'm disappointed, but I look at these the first time. I look at these guys and I think man, the future's bright. You can't not with with if you have football IQ, you can't look at this team and not think future's bright. The future is bright for this team. And and I go back to to the Kansas State loss progressively we're seeing them get better. And I, I, I don't know what we're going to get on Saturday, but I'm pretty encouraged by the youngsters. That said, this was, a, this was, a, this was actually tougher than when I, when I came up with our, our podcast topics. This was more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Who would you put as your MVP, right, of the team? This guy's your MVP, most valuable player of the team.
1: Matt, you and I were sitting here before we began this podcast, and I was throwing out random jokes about what I would pick because of how difficult I do think this choice is. I think there there are positions who have played exceptionally well, but I don't see that 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 singular star who I can say has been the MVP. So this is really a shot in the dark. It's almost like putting names on a dartboard and throwing a dart. Whatever one it lands on is the name that we're calling out at this point. I've gone with TJ Pledger. Really? And, And here's why. TJ Pledger, granted, he hasn't played a ton in comparison. He missed the whole first game. Okay, so I get that that factors into this equation. He hasn't played or had as many carries up until that Texas game as a younger player on the roster in Seth McGowan, who we've talked pretty highly of from day one. But when I look at TJ Pledger and I look at what he's doing in conference, I think he's he's actually exceeded what we would have expected of him, because Matt, you and I sat here, and when we began to talk about who would be the leading rusher for this team, T.J. Pledger was not the name we were throwing out. Right. In fact, it was it was Marcus Major, mm-hmm. the guy who who would potentially have the biggest impact on the season as a ball carrier. We said was Marcus Major. That hasn't happened either, and so I'm looking at T.J. Pledger, 4.8 yards per carry in conference. He did miss the first game, so all of his carries Mm -hmm. have come in conference. I didn't think they were that high after seeing him play, after watching a couple of games, six yards per carry, which I've already mentioned, against Texas, and he only has two touchdowns. Those came not over the bye week, but the week before in that Red River rivalry. We're seeing something ignited in TJ Pledger. To where he's proven to me at least that he can be that go to running back, regardless of the names that are behind him. So I've got him as my MVP okay. right now. No, not difficult that's, decision that I know. It is, but right. I, I, I'm throwing him out there.
0: No, this was a, this, again, this was more difficult than I thought it would be when I just, hey, that's a good idea. Let's put that out there on, on the lineup. <laughs> um, but I'm going to have to go with uh, you kind of, you know, TJ Pledger, good, good call. I'm going to have to go with Chandler Morris.
1: Really? Yeah. I mean Are he's, you lying to no, me? No,
0: he, he leads he leads a team in yards per completion, eighteen point five, and he's the only quarterback on this roster to have a hundred percent completion percentage.
1: Okay, I know you're lying. <laughs> I know you're joking. The the stats <laughs> are true, but who your MVP is, it is not Chandler Morris. I'm not buying
0: it. Okay. Oh, uh, look, there to me it's an obvious choice, but it's a difficult choice. It is Spencer Rattler. I mean, you just have, you got to go with the quarterback and here, here, it was hard for me. Honestly, I I looked through this and I thought, gosh, Spencer Rattler is the obvious choice, but is it the right choice? And I go through and I looked at the running backs. We've talked about the offensive line. I looked at the receivers, went on the defensive side of the ball, but here's what it comes down to me. Spencer Rattler right now has the top quarterback efficiency rating in the big Twelve. I think a lot of people don't realize that. He is the top quarterback efficiency rating in the Big 12. And he's number two in the Big 12 in yards per game at 296.5. And when you look at this and you think, okay, you know what? He's It's better than what the perception is and the way he's played. And so to me, that makes it the obvious choice, but it doesn't make it the easy choice because, again, you go back to the turnovers. Mm-hmm. So that that's where it is for me. All right, we will, I promise, we're going to jump into Oklahoma TCU next. Okay, Oklahoma visits TCU at Fort Worth, Saturday morning, 11 a.m. kickoff. We wouldn't want it any other way. Sooner's currently sitting at a six and a half point favorite over the Horned Frogs, uh, over under of 60 on this game. When I look at it, my my first thought is this, Rich. When I when I look at this matchup between these two schools, my first thought is just simply this: Oklahoma could very well be looking at themselves in the mirror when they take the field in Fort Worth. It, it, it's a it's a team that has a talented quarterback who's young and has been prone to make mistakes. Uh, a team that has struggled to give up, you know, by giving up big plays on the defensive side of the ball. At times, they have lacked discipline, and you just kind of think, okay. It's almost like they're the same thing. One wears purple and one wears crimson. But then you look at the actual stats of it. I mean, points allowed per game. Oklahoma, 30 points per game. TCU, 29.7 points per game. Rushing yards, Oklahoma 144 yards per game on the ground. TCU 171 yards per game on the ground. Yards allowed, Oklahoma 342.5. TCU 366.7. It's, I mean, there are so many things, so many different ways that these teams are, are identical, except for it comes to two factors for me. Two factors, and that's, that's where this game plan hinges on. Number one, Oklahoma points per game. points per game. TCU's at 27. And the second thing here is yards allowed on the ground. Oklahoma 96.5. Oklahoma's rush defense. I don't I don't I hope people realize how good we've talked about the front seven, but Oklahoma gets the run. 96.5 yards per game on the ground. TCU 178.7 yards allowed per game on the ground the offenses are not the same and the defense Oklahoma seems to have a little bit of an edge there. So when we set what I believe should be Oklahoma's offensive keys, we'll start there. The number one thing is you run the ball. You have to run the ball against this team. And we, we talked about it already in this podcast. Did, did we see OU turn a corner in that third quarter against Texas by just coming out and just saying, we're going to dominate you that the strength of TCU's defense is in the back end. On that, that is a good secondary. Maybe most likely the best secondary they faced this season. Kansas State was better than advertised. Iowa State's pretty good. Texas, I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be a struggle all season long. But this TCU, that that secondary, that back end is sound. So what do you do? You get them on their heels. So to speak, you start running the ball down their throat and you see those safeties begin to creep up. And when those safeties creep up, then you have a shot at the seam. You have a shot over the middle, but I, I, whether it's Ramondre Stevenson or not, I think you have to start by running the football.
1: We're going to agree. Yay. We have agreement. Instead of me rehashing, what you've already said instead of rehashing also what I've previously said about the success in the big 12 that Oklahoma has had in the past while running the ball. I'm going to jump into point number two for me, which is Oklahoma has to hold the line, the line of scrimmage Mm -hmm. for me. That's fair. And what it comes down to is I see the mistakes that Spencer Rattler has made. I see that some of those are avoidable, but I also see that some of those come from youth. I do believe that as a defensive-minded coach, Gary Patterson wants to exploit the youth of a quarterback, wants to exploit maybe some weaknesses that he's spotted in this offensive line. And so for that first drive, for that first series, maybe even the first two series that Texas Tech, excuse me, TCU is on the field defensively against Spencer Rattler in this offensive line, is they're going to let them pin their ears back and come for the quarterback, they want Spencer Rattler to play on his heels. They want Spencer Rattler to throw off of his back foot, and there's no better way than of doing that than saying, here we are, stop us. So I do believe, again, Gary Patterson will attempt to exploit the youth of the quarterback, which is Spencer Rattler, which means this, this line's got to hold up early.
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting thing that you point out there because Spencer Rattler has been sacked 10 times this season through four games. Um, so... Some of that is attributed to him holding the ball too long and trying to make something happen. Uh, in some of that, you know, the, you, you go back and you look, and there's plays where, where Spencer should just run the ball, you know, just, just run it and pick up eight or nine yards uh, and do your slide. Um, but sometimes he holds the ball too long. But the, the other thing is the problems, the struggles we've talked about on the offensive line. But here's the thing in that TCU on the season, they they only have four quarterback sacks registered as a defense. And so I think what you're saying, which I agree with wholeheartedly, but I think it goes back to what I said, run the ball. If you're going to pin your ears back, I'm coming at you with draw plays. I'm coming at you with some, some of that, those, those little shuttle passes that we saw against Iowa State. I'm going to do those type of plays against you to counter that, and I'm probably going to get a lot of success out of it. So I hope they do that early because I think that feeds into what I'm saying. And, and here's my my second point on, on Oklahoma, what I think they need to focus on offensively. And I know we came up with two each, and I was really struggling uh, between the two. So I, I made them one by just saying, take advantage of downfield opportunities. Take advantage of them because I think Oklahoma needs to test these the safeties who are really, really good. But again, if you can get them cheating up because you're running the ball effectively, then you, you have to test them over the top. But in doing that, you can't make a pre-snap, a pre-snap determination where you're going to go with the ball. You can't turn the ball over against good safety play. So you have to take advantage of those moments. And, and when you're taking advantage of those moments, you know what you're not doing? You're not turning the ball over. So all that said, you got to take downfield shots. And you got to not turn the ball over. So you can surmise that by saying, take advantage of your downfield opportunities.
1: I, I like where you're going with this, but we've also seen that be a little bit of a problematic area for Oklahoma and these receivers, Talk about the young receivers that are out there when a pull or a tug or some hand fighting puts them in a disadvantageous position. Is that a word? Yes, it is. I think it's dis. dis- puts them at a disadvantage. We'll go with that. Puts them at Disad- a disadvantage, disadvantage- and, and allows that safety me. to rotate over the top. Mm-hmm.
0: And Needless- well, you go back to Iowa State, and for a perfect example of exactly, what you're talking about, exactly. Needless to
1: say. We're going to switch sides of the ball, look at the defense, because I do think there are a couple of things that Oklahoma can do against a guy like Max Dugan, who mm-hmm. I believe has had a lot of success and is only primed for more throughout his career, pending health. I'm preparing as if Max Dugan is playing. Oh and, yeah, he's and playing. And I'm preparing as if he's playing he's the playing. full right. yeah. game. So when I look at... These,
0: You're smart to prepare that way.
1: <laughs> when I look at these defensive keys for Oklahoma, Matt, the one thing I I, I can't iterate enough is that Oklahoma has to limit the surges. We've seen numerous times throughout the season, throughout conference play. Three
0: out of four games.
1: Three out of four games exactly, where in the second half, Oklahoma, because of the the play defensively, has squandered a two-score lead, Mm -hmm. if not more. All of a sudden, you find yourself in this little bit of a shootout, and the inexperience takes over. Oklahoma has lost two of those three games. We've mentioned turning the corner. I'm hoping that's what's happening. Offensively, I'm hoping that this is a team that can begin to finish on offense instead of Simply subsiding and and just punting the ball away. But when it comes to, to this defense, Max Dugan has shown that he can orchestrate come from behind wins. He did it against Texas. Now, if they play like they did against Kansas State, it's a completely different story. You can throw this one out the window because it's just not going to happen from TCU. But Max Dugan, again, under center is the best option for TCU and gives them the best potential for success. He's an accurate thrower. He's completing 69% of his passes, and so when he's given time, you best believe that he can move the ball downfield and he can move it in a hurry. So Oklahoma needs to limit the the potential surges that exist specifically late in the game.
0: Well, here's what it comes down to. You talked about Kansas State and Texas. It goes back to that linebacking core. Um, you know what Kansas State was able to do was dominate with their front seven. Texas has not been able to dominate anybody save UTEP with their front seven this season. And so I think that's where Oklahoma has to do that. Uh, Duggan, the quarterback, you know, forty-three rushing attempts, one hundred and thirty-two yards. He is the leading rusher, but there's Kendry uh, Miller there as well. And they have a, a stable of running backs. You know, um, the Barlow kid. I think Miller and Barlow are, are pretty equal. Uh, they're basically the same guy when they're out there. Um, but what Oklahoma has to do, in my opinion, is they've got to win first and second down. Uh, if, if if Duggan's going to beat me, I want him to do it with his arm, not his legs. I mean, we've seen this so many times with Oklahoma quarterbacks. Um, sorry, with with quarterbacks that Oklahoma's defense faces, they're mobile and they get out of the pocket, and then they and they have career games. You know, and you can you can talk about. You, the kids, you know, Skylar Thompson or Colin Klein from Kansas state. We go back to what Sam Ellinger has done against Oklahoma's. Oh, there, there's a couple of plays that Tom Herman has in his back pocket that Oklahoma has never stopped with Sam Ellinger, which kind of baffles me that we didn't see those a couple of weeks ago in the cotton bowl, but whatever. Um, but there are certain plays. I mean, think about last year's game against TCU, where it was kind of this the coming out party for for Max Duggan, and and the way he ran the ball against this Oklahoma defense. So I I want to limit that first and second down. I want them playing on on third and long. I even better. I want them behind the chains. So I want him to have to pass. And and, and then if he scrambles and beats me, because he had to pass, okay. That's, that's what, that's what I want. I mean, if he's going to beat me, that's the way I want him to do it. I don't want him to do it at a designed running place. I want him under pressure. I, I want the, the, the running game kind of stymied as we've seen Oklahoma have a lot of success on that win first and second down. So that's the first thing I've got defensively. And then to, to coincide that the second thing I'm going is containing, contain Max Dillon. And, and this is a game where we, we've, We've seen this play out before where your defensive ends, you don't, unless it's Ronnie Perkins. Now, if Ronnie Perkins takes the field, this changes a little bit. You'll use a linebacker to contain instead of your defensive end. But I'm going to assume until I see him on the field, I'm going to assume he's not there. Okay. So I want my defensive ends I I want them to contain. I don't want them crashing. If there's going to be pressure, let it be Josh Ellison. Let, let it be Perry and Winfrey. Let it come from a Nick Benito up the middle. Let, let the pressure come from the middle, but keep him in the pocket. Keep him contained. Do not let him outside the pocket. And if you can keep him contained on that third and eight third and 12, if you can keep him contained and you bring pressure up the middle, he has to escape pressure up the middle and avoid getting out of containment or get out of containment in order to beat you with his legs. So that's that's where – if I'm this defense, that's my game plan. You you just – you got to make him pass the ball. Make him throw the ball, stymie the run, contain him with your defensive ends, bring the pressure up the middle. That's what I'm doing if I'm Alex Grinch, but Alex Grinch has yet – let me check my phone. Nope, nope. He's yet to call me to ask for my opinion. <laughs>
1: Last one I'm going to throw out there, Matt, is really going to parlay very nicely. You like that word? Yes. Right there? Parlay. It's going to parlay very nicely into what you had mentioned as your first point, and it's that I want I want TCU to work to get into the red zone. Of mm. course, that comes with winning first and second down, but it also comes with limiting the big
0: Oklahoma plays. winning first and second down. Correct. Yeah,
1: correct. Yeah. It comes with limiting big plays from TCU as well at times Oklahoma has has surrendered big plays which has allowed opponents whether it is to sustain a drive or to simply gobble up a ton of yardage in one go it it's been problematic at times and it really leads into what i had said for that first one of limiting the surges. But when we look at TCU, we look at what they're doing. They may not be scoring a ton of points, Matt. We get that. You said it was 27 points per game just over. But what we do know is that when Texas Christian is allowed into the red zone, they score every single time. They're Man, 100%. You, you went
0: full name there.
1: They're wow. A, I did. They, they're they 100% on red zone conversions. The past couple of years, Oklahoma and Texas Texas Christian have played Twice now, full name. They've played extremely close games that has that feeling that
0: you bring that up.
1: That has that feeling of whoever has the ball last is going to win. If you can keep, again, if you can make TCU work to get into the red zone, your, your chances of being successful and it not being as close of a game as it has been in the past few years, goes up significantly. I'm going to give you the numbers here. Touchdowns, 62.5% when TCU has entered the red zone to 37.5% field goals. So when they get there, (laughs) one, I don't believe Oklahoma can stop them. And two, more often than not, it appears as though TCU will score a touchdown. Limit the red zone trips. Keep them from getting there, but make them work for it if they are going to get there.
0: You've already answered two of the true or false questions, and you don't even know it.
1: Whoopsie doodles.
0: Um, okay, uh, let's let's talk about players to watch for Oklahoma offensively. Who are you looking at?
1: Offensively, uh, the and, and my my perspective on this, I, I feel like I need to explain this because I'm not going with an impact player. I'm not going with who's a name that's that's going to.
0: So you're not going to say Spencer Rattler. Correct.
1: I'm not going with a name that's going to be called possibly ever you
0: picking an offensive lineman?
1: I am picking an offensive lineman. I am going with Murray. We've talked about him quite a bit on this podcast. We've talked about the attributes that he brings to the field. But ultimately, what I'm hoping that he does is he provides this mindset. He provides this physicality that's been missing from some of the positions along that offensive line, regardless of where he's playing. Time and time again, Matt, you've said that the, the mindset's and the way that this offensive line plays needs to mirror that of Creed Humphrey. I believe Murray brings that brings that to the table. Therefore, I believe that he can be a game changer for Oklahoma, although it may be in a limited role in this game, it's still a name that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in seeing just how well he performs and what kind of success or what kind of changes are made when he enters the game. Because him stepping into one role is gonna have a ripple effect across that line
0: yeah that's a that's a good point. Um, I, I think I think his role will increase beyond this game, but like I said, I think we'll definitely see him play against TCU. I am going to go a different direction than you though, and I'm going to go with Austin Stogner for the reason that I said you've got to take advantage of those downfield opportunities. Um, when you're When you're facing a, a secondary as good as what TCU is bringing, you've got to find the mismatch. It's time for Austin Stogner to become that mismatch. 6'6", 262 pounds. He's the number one receiver for Oklahoma on the season with 17 receptions. He's averaging 30, 13.5 yards per catch. His only touchdown was the big one against Texas in overtime. He has had the opportunity to make big plays and hasn't. And you think about the uh, the third down play against Texas where that that pass was dropped. It, this is time. This is it. It's Austin Stogner or Bus. I think, for this for this Oklahoma pass attack. he He's a mismatch. Again, 6'6", 262. He's going to have a safety on him. TCU doesn't have a safety who's 6'6", 262. So this is Austin Stogner. When Oklahoma, when those safeties start cheating up and Oklahoma's going to take their shot down the seam or across the middle of the field, it's going to be Austin Stogner, I think, as that option. And so he's the guy I'm going to be looking at um, to be a a big impact player for Oklahoma's offense defensively. I'm going to go with Joshua Ellison um, and I'm, I'm picking him over Perry and Winfrey because I I think the two guys in the middle right now, I, to me, I know, I know they've both been solid and Winfrey had his best game against Texas, but Ellison has been more consistent. So I'm going with Josh Ellison uh, in the middle of Oklahoma's defensive line because I said, to me, the game planning is you contain and you bring pressure up the middle. TCU's offensive line, we haven't talked about this at all yet. TCU's offensive line is not spectacular. And when I said this is the, maybe the best secondary that they faced, definitely not going to be the best offensive line that they faced. So a guy like Ellison or Winfrey, if you want to throw him in there, I, I think either one of those guys or both of those guys will have big games. But to me, Ellison's been more consistent. So that's who I'm going with.
1: We are looking at the same problem, and we're attempting to address that from two different possible solutions. The way that I'm looking at it is, I, I really wanted to go with da- David Uguaybu,
0: but Linebacker, that's
1: more yeah. more special teams. No, he, than I mean, for think me. about
0: the. i wait, I'm going to jump in here because he he came in <laughs> for Deshaun White and played pretty solid mm-hmm. uh, football against Texas.
1: I'm not denying that. Okay. But I am going with Isaiah Thomas instead. <laughs>
0: you know, I listen. I had Isaiah Thomas. I did. I, I initially had Isaiah Thomas, but then I'm thinking again. If Isaiah, if Isaiah Thomas has a lot of stats in this game, one or two things has happened. The first thing is things have just gone wrong, and this defensive line is broken down. Okay, they've lost containment, or Max Dugan just keeps running to him. <laughs> and, you know, he's avoiding pressure at the middle, and there's Thomas to, to clean it up. So. Um, that's why I didn't go with Thomas. But if you want to look at my notes, I actually have Isaiah Thomas well, written here.
1: I'll tell you why I am going with Isaiah Thomas is that he's a proven disruptor. Mm-hmm. He is that defensive end, or he's at least growing into the role of the defensive end. The 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 spot that was vacated by the names that we've mentioned in Redmond, as well as Perkins. So he's becoming that disruptor. We've seen that he's gained this new level of confidence. He's gained a better understanding of what's being asked of him. And it's also why I believe that we're seeing him all of a sudden force these turnovers Mm -hmm. or at least making a tackle where the balls coughed up onto the ground and the potential for a turnover does exist. This is a defense that has to thrive on turnovers if they want to be successful. I do believe that starts up front, but instead of looking at the middle, I'm looking at the, the outside and saying Isaiah Thomas is the best chance for Oklahoma to force some turnovers against a team like TCU.
0: Okay, I'm going to throw one more thing at you that's not on script, so you get ready, man. It's going to be off the cuff. you got no notes for this, all right? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Here it is. Um, we have seen uh, 2020 is a weird year, right? It's weird. And what we're seeing is with, with Oklahoma keeping everything under wraps, you get to game day and the team takes the field. Someone's not there. You get to Friday night and the team has traveled and you get all these messages, hey, so-and-so didn't get on the bus. You know, we we knew Seth McGowan wasn't playing against Texas, what, around noon on Friday, right? Can you remember me sending that text message? Right. Um, so.
1: My mind, when you said noon on Friday, played that as noon on Saturday. I was like, well, everybody knew at noon on Saturday. <laughs> okay,
0: so here, here's the point <laughs> I'm making. You know, um, Missouri State, you, had, you, you, you pick. I mean, there were so many players out against mm-hmm. Missouri State. Um, and then Texas, it was Seth McGowan. If someone doesn't take the field against TCU, you get to Fort Worth and someone's not there, give me a pick as who it would be.
1: I have not a clue. I mean, again, I, you're, you're yeah, asking me I'm, to take a shot in the dark. Yeah, I, I mean. Gabe Burkich.
0: Possibility. Mm. I mean, he's already missed once. Yes. And this would be a big a big miss for him. Mm. Although, um, I can't remember the kid's name who came in in his stead and was special Sam. team. Darnold. No special teams player of the week for the big 12. Um, you know, I actually would say for me, if I was going to do this and this is, this, this is the only reason I'm asking this question, because if you made me pick right now on at uh, four o'clock on Thursday afternoon before the game, who's not going to be there Saturday morning, who's not gonna be available. I would actually pick Isaiah Thomas or Joshua Ellison. I'm just saying those are the two names, the first two names that come to mind. And that's the only reason why I threw that question out there, um, because you just kind of saw them get banged up against Texas there at the end. And you, you, you don't know. I mean, have you heard how they're doing? Nobody else has either. So that's the reason I threw that out there. OK, true or false coming up. Richard's already asked answered two of the questions. Okay, final segment for the Sooner Nation podcast It's the segment we know as true or false. I'm in the driver's seat here asking the questions of Rich, and then we'll go view the Big 12 rundown as well as our score predictions for Oklahoma TCU 11 a.m. Saturday morning. Okay, number one. Here we go. You ready?
1: Ready as I'll ever be.
0: First question. Oklahoma has finally turned the corner. You got Sooners with the win over Texas in quadruple overtime. They held off a late rally by the Longhorns. They overcame their own mistakes uh, in the fourth quarter as well as the overtime. They secured the win. They finally learned how to win a game. True or false, Oklahoma has turned the corner on this season. I'm going to go with false for the time being. I know that you are utterly shocked.
1: Let me reason why. What it comes down to and the reason why I'm going with false is because body of work. Okay. There are two games where the meltdown has happened, and you have one game where where Oklahoma is successful. But the meltdown still happened. Right, right. But they're able to turn it around. They may have begun to turn the corner, but I don't think they've turned it. Yeah, when I look at this Oklahoma team, so map, they've got
0: the they've got the turn signal on, but correct. they've not correct. made the turn. That, okay, that's,
1: that's a good way of putting it. When I look at this Oklahoma team, I still see those struggles that exist, and I also see some of the play calling that may have lost that game for Texas. A lot of people are going to question why did Tom Herman go out back into the base offense more so than anything? Why are they? Why did Texas go back to the base offense? in the overtimes, instead of sticking with the two-minute drill, which proved to be extremely successful against the Oklahoma defense. Now, I get that the Oklahoma defense is also dropping eight into coverage, and you can exploit that in different ways if you're going to throw short and get out of bounds, which is exactly what what Sam Ellinger and the Texas Longhorns did. Oklahoma wasn't going to drop eight into coverage in that overtime. There was a lot at play there, but play calling had something to do with it. Oklahoma still had the meltdown in that game late in the fourth quarter. Am I ready to say that they've turned a corner? No, but, but they're sitting there with the turn signal on. Does that work for you? Okay, here so we false. go. That one's false for me. All
0: right, number two. Uh, this is a little bit easier for you, I think. Uh, a win in Fort Worth on Saturday will place the Sooners back in the top 25. Uh, I, I'll i go with
1: True on that one. I get that Oklahoma is 500 on the season. I get that they have a win over a previously ranked opponent which is the Texas Longhorns. TCU's no easy task. I don't think the Big 12 is particularly strong this year. And so when you look at all the teams that are currently playing versus those who have yet to play a game knowing that they're moving back into the top 25, Teams like Ohio State, when I look at, at what Oklahoma's done, I do believe that they have potential to be inside the top 25. Will it be 25? It's very likely. If 25 they is it. still in the it top, top is. It is. I, I'm just saying they're not going to jump into the top 20. I
0: I agree that I think a win most likely places them back into the top 25. The only reason I think it may not is because the Big Ten gets back involved this weekend and we'll see what the shakeout is after the Big Ten's opening weekend of play. Okay, here we go. Number three, um, going back to 2005, seven of the 11 games played between these two teams have been decided by one score or less. Now, the other four games have been blowout wins for Oklahoma. True or false? This game will be a blowout and not a down-to-the-wire type game.
1: I have to go with false. Given what we've seen through four games, every single one has been a down-to-the-wire game, and there's nothing inside of me that says this one will be different, especially given the history that you've just provided us with.
0: Okay, Um, let's move on. Number four, (laughs) Um, we saw Sam Ellinger against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl two weeks ago. Ellinger took over this game late in the third quarter, into the fourth quarter to force overtime. Much of what he did was with his legs. True or false? Max Dugan is more of a rushing threat than Sam Ellinger. I
1: will go with false on that one. And because Sam Ellinger's strength to me has always been his ability to tuck the ball and run. We've also seen how he runs and it's more like a running back than it is a
0: quarterback. Like a fullback, but yes,
1: (laughs) I don't think Max Dugan runs with that same power. Mm -hmm. I don't think, but he's quicker. He he is quicker. And he's more shifty. He may be more shifty. He may be quicker. But when we're comparing the two, I, I still have to go with false. I don't think Dugan's strength is running the ball. I, I think that he will rely more on throwing the ball, and he's a more capable passer, in my opinion, than Ellinger is.
0: Okay, so here we go. The, the last one, number five. Coming off a big win to even the season record at 2-2, two and two, the bye week came at a perfect time for the Oklahoma Sooners.
1: I absolutely have to agree and say true on that. When you look at some of the injuries, you look at trying to get these new players into the mix. You look at all the COVID testing that has to be done. Needless to say, when you get two weeks, when you get that one week break, it allows things to breathe and it allows a little bit of relaxation To happen, It allows for that recovery to happen at the same time. So when we look at Oklahoma, the potential of the suspended three to play, working them back into some type of a rotation, that coaching staff knowing how they want to use those players given two weeks, I I like their chances of being successful, assuming Mm -hmm. that they do play and putting those players in a position to be successful. So when it comes to the bye week, I I don't think it could have come at a more perfect time for Oklahoma.
0: All right, uh, let's go around the Big 12 real fast. That, that's going to wrap up to your false good job, Rich. Uh, real quick, around the Big 12 as we close this out, the other 11 a.m. game, Kansas at Kansas State. The Jayhawks no longer have Puka Williams as a part of their offensive arsenal. They travel from Lawrence to Manhattan to face the 3-1 Skylar thompson lists Kansas State Wildcats. Kansas State a 19.5 point favorite over under this game is 48 and a half. The question to me for me, Rich, is not is Kansas going to lose, but how much are they going to lose by? Mm -hmm. Would you take the 19.5 points on Kansas State or not? I do think
1: that I would. And because Deuce Vaughn, number one, number two is the quarterback. I have no idea who the backup is at Kansas state shows you how closely I follow that program. But what I do know is that the coaching staff will only ask that quarterback to manage will the Will
0: Howard, by the way, is the young man you're talking will about. True freshman.
1: Will Howard will need to be a game manager more than a playmaker. Given those two things, given the, <laughs> The depleted state of Kansas offensively and the threats that they have, I, I have to believe that Kansas State will win this one by 19 or more.
0: 19. You need 19 and a half, so you need 20 points to cover by
1: 19 here. and a half or more.
0: Okay, it's I, three
1: scores. Listen, three
0: scores. I I can't believe I'm going to do this, but this I don't think so, I don't it has think to be, so. Has to be more. I, I think I think the Jayhawks cover here, and here's the reason why, because. We we you talked about no Skylar Thompson and Will Howard. That means both of these teams are going to run the ball and a whole lot. And Deuce Vaughn, even
1: without Puka Williams, yes, you believe they're going to run it a lot.
0: I hundred percent believe they're going to run it a what lot. What
1: about Andrew Parchment? At, no, I mean, no you, major factor.
0: You here? can't protect a quarterback to throw the ball to Andrew Parchment. We we've seen that play out over and over and over again. I mean, the Jayhawks are sitting at zero and four because they can't throw the football. But the point is. Um, I think there's gonna be a lot of running involved in this game. And therefore I think it can be close. I think it'll be by less than 20 points and by less than 20, I mean, I can, I can see Kansas state by 17, you know, two touchdowns and a field goal, but by less than 20, the, the Jayhawks would cover. And Hey, if you're Kansas, you're accepting moral victories right now. Um, big, the biggest game in the big 12 this weekend, Iowa state number 17 at number six, Oklahoma state Cowboys, three and a half point favorites over under on this game's 52. By the way, I'd take the under as well on the Kansas, Kansas state game. Who wins this game, rich? Are the Cowboys the real deal? Will they be sitting in the driver's seat at four and O oh at the end of this game? I do
1: have a concern when it comes to Oklahoma state because of the amount of time that they've had off. Will that's they be a, a team concern. that's lethargic? Will they be a team that forgot how to tackle? Will they be a a team that's out of sync, that that chemistry has dissipated a little bit between quarterback and receivers? Which quarterback quarterback, is going to play? There are still questions that I think would have been answered had Oklahoma State played Baylor, but without that game, I I have some concerns there. I don't know who's going to win it, but I will say on paper, Oklahoma State is the better team.
0: I agree with you, but I mean, I just, I feel like, Right now, Iowa State's bringing the best running back in the Big Twelve into Stillwater. Right. Oklahoma State's had all kinds of problems along the offensive line. Mm-hmm. We we don't know who's going to play quarterback, right? Right. And and Mike Gunney's talking about playing two quarterbacks.
1: All that's that, nothing new.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> all that said, it means you think, man, Iowa State they they could come in here and sneak out with the win. We saw him, we saw him do it, Brock Purdy, as a as a freshman in Stillwater which probably means Oklahoma State wins by, what, 10? You know, <laughs> if you're thinking all this, I mean, they're going to pull it out and you're going to be like, okay, Oklahoma State's the real deal. I don't know. It's definitely going to be a fun game to watch, I think. You mentioned Baylor. Oklahoma State didn't get to play them because the boys got the COVID, but now they, put, they they're, the Bears are going to go to are Texas. Are they, though? Are I, they? I think they are. I think it's going to happen. They're going to go to Texas and they're going to play the Longhorns. Texas, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite over under 61. I have no idea how to pick this game because I don't know who's playing for Baylor. Right. So, I mean, if, if both teams are relatively healthy, if Baylor brings most of their starters, I think this is a pretty even game. I think I would take the over and I think I would definitely take Baylor getting eight and a half points. But the fact that it's eight and a half points lets me know that these betting insiders, they know that there's some key players that aren't going to play for Baylor in this game. And there's no reason for Texas to be an eight and a half point favorite over anybody, but Kansas in the big 12. And so I, it scares me through a shade. Um, Hey, it just, it is what it is. Uh, So it scares me looking at that. So I got to think this is going to be a longhorn victory.
1: I'm going to agree with you. And you have to think when they shut down football operations, it means they shut down everything. The, the weight rooms, the practice facilities, Anything that the football players had access to, I believe would have been under lock and key in order to sanitize, in order to clean, in order to take the necessary precautions, which meant people were sitting at home. Right. (laughs) I don't know what that means for Baylor, but I don't think it means anything good, which is why Texas, who has maintained football, who has maintained opening their facilities, who has maintained practices and has played a game, (laughs) Since Baylor has that out, I think that gives them an edge.
0: By the way, uh, a Texas win would actually be beneficial to Oklahoma because it would put the Sooners at the same record as the bears still having them on their schedule. But if Baylor were after everything Baylor has been through, if they're able to come into Austin and win this game, Austin will burn, man. (laughs) I mean, these guys, they're fighting over the school song right now. Do you play the eyes of Texas or you don't you play? And the band's like, we're not going to play it. And the football team's like, well, we're not going to stay on the field for it. And then the president's like, we're going to, it's going to be there. We're going to, if the band doesn't play it, we'll play it from the press box. So, I mean, there's all kinds of, I mean, when you get to the petty issues, then those petty issues become the spotlight for your program. That lets you know and lets you know there's some major issues going on there. Okay. The, the nightcap for the big 12. And by nightcap, I mean four thirty kickoff. Whoa. Uh West Virginia getting close to bedtime. <laughs> West Virginia at <laughs> Texas Tech. Mountaineers getting three points. They're our three point favorite going in to Lubbock. All kinds of problems with uh with Texas Tech from the quarterback spot. Uh Jarrett Dagey gets to go into Lubbock where his brother starred once upon a time for the Red Raiders. Who you got?
1: I I'm gonna go with West Virginia. And it comes down to who's going to get the most stops here. Now, West Virginia is not the most prolific offense. I get that, but I do think they get enough turnovers. I think they get enough stops to keep this one competitive on the road and eventually squeak out a win. But it will be, in my opinion, a close game.
0: Okay, so here it is, the big one. Oklahoma, 11 a.m. kickoff. ABC, if you can't go to Fort Worth and be in the stands. Sooner six and a half point favorites over under a 60 on the game. Give me your point score or your, your point prediction Man, score prediction.
1: Yeah. I'm going to be really close to that over under when it comes to this one, because I, as I've mentioned, I do, I do believe that this will be a close game. And I think once again, what I've said week in and week out is that 31 to 35 points wins this for you. I think Oklahoma is going to hit that 31 mark. And I think, I think TCU is going to be a little bit closer to 24 to 27. So final score prediction for me, Matt, We're going to bump them up. We're going to go 34-27.
0: You know, I really want, I actually wanted Oklahoma, I wanted to pick Oklahoma to lose this game because I picked them to lose to Texas and they won. So that whole reverse jinx thing, but uh, I'm not going to go that route. I, I agree, 31 to 35 wins. And I think Oklahoma gets out with a 35 to 28 win over TCU. I think that 28 point comes in as a late touchdown that this is actually a two-score game for the Sooners until like the final minute and a half or whatever. Just just to provide enough drama to keep Oklahoma fans on edge. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for us here at the Sooner Nation Podcast. He's Rich, I'm Matt. You can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. You can subscribe to the Sooner Nation Podcast anywhere that podcasts are found. And we can find us on Twitter, at SportsHeartland on Twitter. Have a great weekend. Boomer Sooner.